Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, True North Senior VP Kevin Donnelly on this year's Whiteout Parties, political scientist Chris Adams on a bunch of stuff, and Kurt Hall from Climate Change Connection on the carbon tax. Please rate the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, and now, the podcast. The whiteout party details are out. Dana Spiring this morning, part of the news conference. She, of course, is with Economic Development Winnipeg. Take a listen to this and then our first guest on the whiteout parties. We are building on the success of last year and we are working to make the fan experience even better. Also this year, we are going to be celebrating in a whole new way by doing something that this city does better than most by making a difference in our community. If you are not going to the game inside the arena, tickets to the street party will cost $5. 100% of the proceeds of ticket sales will go directly to agencies that are making a difference in our community, in the areas of homelessness, mental health, and addiction, which will be administered through United Way Winnipeg. And now, joining us live on the phone, Senior VP at True North, Kevin Donnelly. Kevin, a good afternoon. Thanks for doing this. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? I am excellent. Well, listen, good. I love this idea. Um, let, let's dig into Well, let me ask you this first of all. Has there been any blowback at all about the $5 charge? You've, you've announced this uh, this morning, four or five hours ago. Anybody at all think this is not a good idea? Have you heard anyone? You know what? The only the only one I saw on social media, the person admitted that they wouldn't come anyway. Right. So, uh, you know, there's always going to be somebody that that finds a negative, and and usually they do stay home. So, uh, it's something that we really thought would would allow us to better understand how many people are coming. Last year, we 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 ticketed the events, we offered them free, and people took tickets and didn't use them, and that sort of started getting our brains moving and saying, how can we address that? How can we make that? you know, make people more accountable. So putting a nominal amount, $5, and then taking that money and directing it right into an agency that helps us, you know, in Winnipeg anyway, we thought it was a win-win. Absolutely. United Way and Ticketmaster isn't charging a fee. And you can still go down as a family, say, for example, and it's really affordable entertainment. You can feel like you're part of the excitement. Absolutely. Children under five are free. We have the, the Fresco Family Zone that is unlicensed. If you want to come and just bring the whole gang and, and hang out, that's behind the Millennium Library. It was a great, great spot last year. Uh, but, you know, $5, we think it's still an easy number that people can, most people can uh, can handle. And, and, and for those that, that can't, we're giving 500 tickets per event to the United Way to distribute to members of the community. So if, you, if that's an issue, please contact the United Way, and we're going to provide some free tickets for them to distribute. And 48 hours before game time, you will announce what size of party will happen. Can you go through those in a bit more detail for us? Start with the smallest and, and move up to the largest? Sure. Well, we've developed sort of an A, B, and C. So the, a, the, the, the smallest of the three configurations is about 15,000 seats, and then it goes to 20 and then to 25,000. So, you know, trying to get a sense of how many people will come, and, and that'll depend on, you know, the weather, which game in the series it might be, right. all, those, all those different factors. So we're going to peg which one we feel 
is going to be required. We're going to staff and, and, and build out to that, to that size. And if we sell out, we sell out, and then that'll be the end of it. So, uh, you know, we had concerns coming back to us saying we don't know how many people are coming. Well, we're trying to address that. We're trying to say round and, – and we've picked this up. Round one, you know, the first couple of games are going to be 15,000 seats. So those are what, that's what we're going to put on sale for the street parties. And, you know, last year we had 6,000 for the first game and 9,000 for the second game. So we think that, you know, we've got room to grow. We've got room to accommodate the people that really are, are – fanatical and really engaged and, and want to be part of it yeah but if we sell more tickets then you know for the next games you know god willing that there will be more and more games we'll be able to look at it and grow to the capacity so one is fifteen thousand, one is 20 and one is 25 that's basically how it works and anything different this uh, time around kevin after looking back at last year and that experience anything different this year that maybe didn't get mentioned in that news conference that we haven't talked much about, like say security or more screens, fewer screens, what else did you guys sort of decide from last year that it would be different this year? Well, you know, I think that uh, we learned through the process last year, you know, where's a better location. So we were moving screens around and I'm hopeful that this time we've picked spots that really worked for us at the end. They weren't the same locations that we offered at the start. So I think it's really, it's more of the same, but it's, it's the lessons we learned in games two, three, and four that were, you know, really viable and really like a happening vibe for games eight and nine toward the end. So it's, it's more of the same, but we really did try to learn from the, uh, the lessons that, that were presented to us last year. And then away games, $10 to be at that party downtown, right? Yes, and last year we started the, the in-arena away game broadcast uh, on the second round. We're going to start it for the first round. So if you want to come down, see the games on the big screen, be part of that uh, excitement in the arena, it's $10 a ticket. And again, the proceeds from that go to the True North Youth Foundation. Hey, I'm curious, Kevin, did other cities, did other teams and organizations in other cities contact you or or Dana at Economic Development Winnipeg about our whiteout parties? Did they come to us saying, how are you guys doing this? Were, were we kind of, I know we were a big story elsewhere. Did you get calls like that from other cities, other NHL teams? Uh, every single other Canadian market, for sure. How did we pull that off? So, you know, we, we learned from what we saw in Nashville the year before where they had the combination of their team catching fire, but also, you know, the the Canadian music, uh, the, the what do they call it, Country Music Week was happening in Nashville that same time. So they had lots of activity going on. But we learned that was our inspiration to see what happened in Nashville. We've taken that, created our template. And I tell you, I had... Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Toronto, everybody called me saying, tell me how that happened. How, when did you plan it? How did you pull it together? It was the talk of our industry for sure. Very cool. Well, you did a great job last year, and I'm really looking forward to this year. I think this is great. Uh, it's uh, it's affordable, but yet that money is going right back into the community. I, I think it's fantastic all around. Thank you so much. I appreciate your support. Kevin, thanks a lot for your time. Yep. That is Kevin Donnelly, Senior VP at True North Sports and Entertainment. Let's talk about it. What do you think of this? 204-780-6868. You can text or call that number. And you can email me, hal at cjob.com. Are there any people out there that don't like this idea? 
Any negatives at all? Cam Poitras, let me say good afternoon to you, sir, the Hello. producer of this show. Uh, what do you think? Do you like this or any concerns, any worries at all? Are you a big sports guy, host of Sports Sunday here on CJOB? Uh, well, I have no real concerns. I, I think they had to do something with everyone kind of not showing up last yeah. year. Um, for me, you know, I, I went last year a bunch of times. This year, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll avoid the crowds and stuff like that. I wasn't, mm. I'm not planning on going this year. So yep. uh, for me, $5 doesn't really uh, change. Change your mind one no, way or no, another. No, no, right? I was. I'm not going to go. So yeah, yeah that's just well, my that's just my decision. I know that uh, Greg Mackling was chatting in the newsroom after they were done the start this morning that he had one or two nay uh, sayers on uh, social media. But again, just like what Kevin said, they basically in the end said to Greg, "Well, we weren't going to go anyhow." So it it doesn't really apply to them. They weren't going to go whether it was free or or five bucks. Let's uh, shift gears here. And uh, we'll uh, play a clip here from Andrew Shear on Lav Scam. It's been an interesting few days on that front. Here's Andrew Shear. Beyond a shadow of a doubt now, we know that there was this high-level attempt to, to interfere in this process. What Mr. Butts is saying today is now further proof that the Liberals shut down the Justice Committee investigation prematurely. All right, we had that audio from Jody Wilson-Rabel on Friday, and now... Uh, Butts has come forward to sort of rebut that. And Chris Adams, our political scientist friend from St. Paul's College at the University of Manitoba, joins us on the phone now. Chris, several things I want to uh, talk to you about. Let's start there. What do you make of this lav scam situation now? My goodness. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Hal. Uh, um it's, uh, it's a handle actually is, is new to me, which I'm sure is going to stick now, the LAV scam. And it's easier to say that, than uh, SNC-Lavalin. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing that's developing today is that the um, National Liberal Caucus, that is all the members of Parliament who are Liberals, um, are meeting and they're going to decide on whether Jody Wilson-Raybould is going to be staying in the caucus. Um, they might even consider Jane Philpott not being in there as well. And the Prime Minister, as I understand it, is not going to be part of those discussions. So um, there's a sense that that uh, um, the ex-minister, Jody Wilson-Raybould, um, is not really trusted too much by fellow caucus members as to um, what, what they talk about. So it's going to be interesting tomorrow when we wake up to find out what's happened with the Liberal caucus. And my, my expectation, my guess, if I were a betting person, would be that she's not going to survive the day in, in the caucus. And what will that, and what do you make of, and I can understand why maybe some liberals say, can we trust her? She was recording telephone calls that uh, yeah. Wernick didn't know were, were being recorded, or I assume that he, he didn't know. So I, I get that part of it. But the bigger question is, and it's the same question all along. We've been asking this the whole time. Can Justin Trudeau and the liberals survive this scandal? Can they win another election uh, it, it, can we even now say Trudeau yeah. will lead them into that election? I, I don't know. Well, I, I think certainly Trudeau is going to be leading them into the election. I, I think that this, uh, I think if they cauterize this this problem, if use that term, if they cauterize it today by by um, ejecting this this um, MP from their caucus, I think they they have quite a bit of time to start campaigning on on different issues. So, so th they're, they're going to go into the next election with with Justin Trudeau, unless there's some sort of criminal activity that suddenly comes out, which I, I'd be surprised if there is. 
is. And um, and then they'll be campaigning. Andrew Scheer, of course, is making the best out of this. He's the leader of the loyal opposition, and he's making the best, as his role is, to to cause as much uh, political damage on, on the governing Liberals. We will have to see how effective Jagmeet Singh is. I mean, he's newly elected to Parliament and see how much traction he gets for the NDP over this issue. But really, so far, it's been Andrew Shearer. And uh, did it get a lot worse with those audio uh, tapes being released on Friday for, for the Liberals, Justin Trudeau's Liberals? Did it get a lot worse with that? Or, or like, what's your sense uh, now with the latest developments? Well, I mean, the, the 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 leading civil servant who was part of that conversation has is no longer in his office in his position. He's right. retired, so there's some limited damage there. What what can you do about that? But at the same time, it breathed new life into into the the issue, and so we're we're talking today in part because new life was brought into the issue on uh, last Friday. Um, you know, there is some talk as to what what is is there is there some strategy going on behind this uh, by uh, J- Jane Philpott and and Jody Wilson Raybould as to was there a long term strategy to get rid of Justin Trudeau and uh, we'll have to see. I, the, the story hasn't fully been written, and we we have to see we have to learn more. The other thing, how which I'm finding quite interesting to watch is. You know, Wilson Raybould really consulted closely with a number of um, interesting folks, including the uh, retired Supreme Court justice, but also apparently with Kim Campbell. And as you know, Kim Campbell was was prime minister subsequent to Brian Mulroney, but also was minister of justice during Mulroney's period. And there, there is the question as to whether um, the prime minister influenced Kim Campbell to, on the Milgard case of 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 having. Um, somebody who is unfairly imprisoned, um, something done about that by the justice minister. And apparently Kim Campbell told Ray, uh, Wilson Raybould that, that uh, she she wasn't pressured, but now uh, Prime Minister Mulroney's memoirs say that he did. He was the one who instigated the justice minister to move on that. So that's an interesting thing to watch something from 25 years ago bubbling up right now. Well, and with a Winnipeg and a Manitoba connection, too. That's right. That's yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah. So in the federal election, and we'll we'll see how the Liberals uh, do, how the Tories do, how the NDP does, but we now know yeah. that Andrew Swan will not be running in Winnipeg Centre for the NDP. I thought that was a given, but it's not going to happen that way. Well, you know, I was quite stunned, too. You know, I did an interview for one of the other TV outlets yesterday afternoon. It was like I was talking as if it was a done deal. Swan is going to be running against Robert Falcon Willette, and, and um, I was shocked to see the news. If I were a member of the NDP, maybe I wouldn't be shocked. Maybe I would have known things that I didn't, didn't know as an outside political scientist, but I really was surprised to see that. When I see the the film clips from that gathering, I can see why it happened. You know, she, she's charismatic. She she's um, has a mixed background. She's a First Nations woman, but she's also, I understand, her father was a survivor of Auschwitz, or else one of her parents was. So she's got a mixed heritage there. She's she looked very animated at the at the microphone. She's got a good record in in the work of human rights. So. She ticks off a lot of the great boxes for the NDP to run as a candidate. And the other thing, too, is as an Indigenous woman, she kind of um, takes one of the trump cards out of Robert Falcon Willette's hand. That is, um, he was a very accomplished uh, Indigenous 
person as well. But now we've got two very successful or, or well-known, uh, accomplished uh, Indigenous people running against each other, which is which is actually nice to see in the year um, uh, 2019. Yeah, we should say her name, uh, Leah Gazan. She's a University right. of Winnipeg lecturer, and uh, she will represent the NDP, uh, as you said, against Robert Falcon Willette, the MP uh, who happens to be a Liberal in uh, in Winnipeg Centre. So we'll see what happens there. And then yeah. let me just play a clip here of Brian Pallister, another hint on the weekend about an early election in Manitoba. 2020 will be Manitoba's 150th birthday, and he sort of said maybe we should be celebrating and not going to the polls, not holding an election. Listen to the clip, and then we'll talk about it, Chris. I've heard from Manitobans already that they would prefer that 2020 be the year that we celebrate something other than politics, that we celebrate something that unites us, doesn't necessarily divide us. So I certainly am getting that feedback from a lot of Manitobans already. There's no reason to have partisanship interfere with a, with a great party for our province. And uh, sure, polit- partisan politics plays a role, obviously. Uh, some Manitobans uh, are of that view, and I'm hearing them. Uh, others may not be. I'm sure I'll hear from them, too. You know, I'm, I'm listening to Manitobans. I'm just saying that's a perspective that I am getting. Are you buying that, Chris? Well, it certainly lays the groundwork. I I think it's, uh, as a political scientist, I think there'll be some people uncomfortable about going to the polls uh, three years into one's mandate instead of four years. Um, You know, there are 12 months in a year in 2020, so there are lots of, (laughs) there's lots of different things will be going on. This this year, we've got a federal election going on. We've just come out of a civic election. So I, I would say it's like taking a holiday. There's never a good time to take a holiday from work because work is always happening and there's always things pressing on you. The same thing for elections. It's very difficult to to find a time that's really uh, suited to what the citizens, uh, you know, that, that don't that don't clash with other things. Um, at the same time, you know, it, it does make sense for the premier to go ahead now. He's got uh, he's got an opposition which seems to be a little bit in disarray. The Liberals, I think, will be seeking to not only take NDP votes away, but but also conservative votes, uh, especially in the suburbs. So, I, I think uh, um, when you're when you're doing the calculations right now, is is uh, he's in a strong position to win an election if they if he went to the polls in a couple of months. Um, at the same time, there will be people complaining, but the people complaining will be people who who are concerned about government waste and things like that. And those people will vote for the progressive conservatives anyway. Hey, clarify something for me, Chris. Does he have to have a reason for going with an early election? Does he have to have something to point to, or can he just go because he wants to? Well, you know, convention now, we've had two elections that have been called on the fixed dates. And and uh, so I, I think that it, it does kind of break what we have. Paul Thomas, a uh, uh, political scientist I respect quite a bit, uh, says, well, there's, you know, Technically speaking, he he uh, does he he can call an election before the fixed date in the legislation, but the convention now we've had a couple of elections on those fixed dates. So I, I think you do have to have a good a good solid reason for going early. Yeah, I just uh, and I don't think uh, the one fifty party is a good solid reason. That's why I ask if he has to have a reason, because it doesn't seem like a very a good one to me. But, you know, I, you're it's right. It's the 100th think, anniversary of the Winnipeg general strike this year, too. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it is interesting that if he does call an early election, he is he's following through on most of his promises. He's doing exactly what yep. he said he would do to get elected. And he probably yep. sees uh, an opportunity, right? 
Yeah, and, and, and he's a leader who doesn't like to bow to public pressure. He, like, you know, he's, he, he, he's had a, a number of, of issues over the past number of years, and he's a guy who makes a decision and, and goes with it. So, um, so, so in, some way, in some ways, one could say he's a contrarian. That is, the more you try to push him one direction, the more he'll go the other way. So, um, so I, I, wouldn't be surp- I wouldn't be surprised if he does call an early election. Well, Chris, thanks a lot for this. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, watch out for geese, Hal. I, there are lots of them out there, no kidding, in the air and on the ground. Thank you, Chris. Cutting cheese and meat just one day a week for a year is like taking your car off the road for five weeks or reducing daily showers by three minutes. The cost of the carbon tax. We're going to get into that today. Day one of the carbon tax here in Manitoba. That was uh, Global News reporter Brittany Greenslade there. Interesting when you look at it, you know, from meat and cheese and in different ways and, and how we can reduce that carbon footprint. Kurt Hall is with Climate Change Connection and he joins us on the phone now. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Al. Hi, thank you very much for doing this. So, uh, generally, your thoughts as we head into uh, this new era of a carbon tax in Manitoba? I think it's uh, an essential step to take. That is to say, putting a price on carbon pollution is, is necessary in order to make what is often invisible visible. And what I mean by that is the, the threat of climate change and, and the impacts of burning fossil fuels. And so by putting a tax on, you know, easiest example here is the gas in your car. By putting a a carbon tax on the gas that goes in your car, we are now more aware of what we, uh, how much gas we use because we know there is a cost, correct? Correct. Yeah. And, And also, you know, thanks for calling. I mean, the fact that this is something that people are now talking about in itself raises awareness. Okay. Um, now, what about the way it's being rolled out? Or, or do you care about that at Climate Change Connection? Because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's confusing. You're, they're taking, but they're giving. And uh, Any thoughts on that, uh, Kurt? Or, or are you just happy that we're talking about it and we're now aware uh, of the tax, uh, of carbon? Well, the, there's, there, are, there can be a very conf- confusing aspects of Revenue recycling. So we've, you know, it's pretty clear that that when you've got five cents a liter on uh, on each time you go to the pumps. Okay, that's pretty clear. But the uh, the what you do with the revenue can be pretty complicated. And there's a number of different ways that you can invest that revenue, depending on what policy you want you want to uh, employ and what results you want. Like there's ways that you can uh, support programs that actually help people move away from their dependence on fossil fuels. So like, for example, you could use the revenue to enhance your transit system or something like that. But <clears throat> there's the this one here, called this is fee and dividend is what they're doing. And, and by paying a dividend directly to the people paying uh, the fee in the first place, it has the it may not necessarily reduce the uh, emissions uh, in the greatest degree, but it's the most likely to get public acceptance because if you get like you, you're going to get a rebate back, uh, you know, two hundred and fifty five dollars per couple, or three hundred and thirty nine for a family of four is what I've I've read, um, then you are going to be less likely to really oppose the thing if, if, you're, if you're seeing that check. But 
you've got the ability to uh, to avoid paying it in the first place, and that's that's the you know that's the the really the the positive aspect of a fee and dividend approach. So maybe talk a bit about that. So how should we be approaching this? I want to pay as little carbon tax as I possibly can. Give me some advice. Well, you you had that that piece on the news with the Green Action Center and their and their Go Manitoba carpooling app. Right. Uh, you could take the dividend and you could um, you could buy a bicycle with that. Or you could uh, uh, pay a, uh, at least a couple of months of uh, um, bus tickets, and uh, you know, so you can do that. <clears throat> There's uh, you know various things that you can choose to do, but but the thing is that this this is going to go up in the future. That we're starting at twenty dollars a ton this year, and it'll go to thirty, forty, fifty. So you can anticipate that it's going to go up. So you may want to make an investment in something that may not pay off right away, but it's got a little bit higher price to it, something like uh, an, a heat recovery ventilation system for your house or your uh, or, uh, or an air, to, air uh, heat pump, or that kind of thing, right. those higher investments. And if we don't start dealing with this now, Kurt, uh, I've read lots of stories that say that, you know, we could be in real big trouble real fast. Exactly. That is exactly the the. the the, the the point here that a lot of time by making this pollution the th- visible it's important because the problem of climate change the threat of climate change is often invisible did you see the movie uh, the great escape mm, i'm not sure if i saw that well, one well in the movie they they were digging a tunnel and they were taking the dirt and putting it in the attic of their barracks and everything seemed to be fine and they were going along fine until the weight of that dirt that they were putting in the attic made the ceiling collapse. It's kind of the same thing that what we're doing with, with the greenhouse gas emissions we're putting into the atmosphere. We're not really seeing the, the really big impacts that, that, of climate change, the big risks, until that ceiling collapses. And we've got to stop putting that dirt into the attic is really what it amounts to. Because at some point it's going to cave in. Yeah, that's right. The, some of the scenarios that, that I've seen as far as, well, we're already seeing it, you know, with the, the, the cyclone in, in uh, Mozambique and, and the devastation that's caused there, um, the uh, floods and droughts and impacts on people's uh, ability to grow food is getting more and more. And then what happens as a consequence of that is you get climate refugees. And when you've got people moving away from where they used to live, now moving into a place where they may not be welcome, it's it's causing tension, and 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 there's the threat of global conflicts coming. So here in Manitoba, I'm not saying that we're going to have, uh, you know, a war right. here, but there's good likelihood of more and more severe conflicts elsewhere as a con- you know as a follow-on conse- consequence of climate change. For example. In Syria, in two, from 2005 to 2010, Syria had a drought. Now, I'm not just talking about a bad crop year. I'm talking about severe, deep droughts year upon year, at the end of which Syria only had, they lost 60% of their arable land. And this is a country, remember, that's next to Iraq, and it was already seeing refugees coming into their country from Iraq and the, and the conflict there. So now you've got... of your arable land has been lost, and 80% of the cattle have been killed. And so you've got a million people moving off the land into the cities that are already stressed by the the refugees that have come there. 
And then <clears throat> because of uh, the uh, those stresses, then eventually you wind up with uh, something like 8 million people that are that are displaced because of the the civil war that resulted and those people that are, that have uh, are now leaving the country they wind up in places like uh Turkey and Lebanon and Syria or sorry uh, uh Italy and they're causing impacts as because of the, the the refugees that are moving in there right now that was seen in in the UK as being a reason for Brexit they the threat of those refugees mm mm-hmm. Now, who could have put those pieces together? The, the the drought in Syria resulting in the UK leaving the EU. These are the kinds of threats that are not easy to connect, but are part of the, the, the things we have to be concerned about with climate change. We're talking with Kurt Hall from Climate Change Connection about the carbon tax. Can I read one or two text messages here, uh, Kurt, that I'm getting? Because sure. whenever we talk about uh, this sort of stuff, this is the kind of uh, text messages um, that I get. Uh, Bob says, the problem is the Americans, the Chinese, the Russians, they are all still putting dirt in my attic and the price of my gasoline is going through the roof. Well, that's a little bit of uh, of a strong statement that it's going through the roof. Let's let's look at the price of gas. For example, in January, the price of gas was thirty cents less than it is today, and yet, the, when the price rose, those thirty cents rose. I didn't, I, you know, you didn't call me up when that was happening, and, and, and nobody talks in the same way. And now we're adding another nickel. Yeah. But but in this case, that nickel is something that's going to come back and go into your pocket. You know, you can, and that you can then choose to use as you will. All right. So, uh, and one, I'll just read another text. It's interesting to get your reaction to these text messages because I will often get them and I, I don't really know how to respond. Uh, Jarrett says, since the 70s, they've been crying the sky is falling. I'm not falling for the climate hysteria. Well, the... Uh, so there's just people that just don't buy what you're saying, right, Kurt? Yeah. Yeah, well, and and if they don't buy the pro- if they don't agree that there's a problem, then they're obviously not going to really be happy with the solution, right? Yeah. So, but but first and foremost, you have to understand that that the, the threat of of climate change and the threat to future generations. And I I personally take this responsibility very very seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got grandkids, and I'm very concerned about what I'm leaving for them. Another text message. Levels of CO2 in the atmosphere are lower now than they ever have been. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know where they, that came from, <laughs> because that is absolutely false. Right. No, that is not. The, now, it, there, are, there are cycles of, of uh, the, the, this is an, an interesting one here. Let's talk about natural versus, versus the current situation. Sure. <clears throat> people, when I, when I talk about climate change, a lot of people say, is this just a natural natural thing. Well, there are changes that happen to the climate all the time. Some of them are driven by natural things and some of them are driven by, and this recent one has been put on top of it with, with the fossil fuels, but it's driven mostly by the Milankovitch cycles. And most people don't know about this. That There's three different cycles that change has have been changing the climate ever since the planet was created. So we've got Changes in the shape of the orbit of the Earth. It goes from a circle to an ellipse and back to a circle again over the course of about 112,000 years. We've got changes in the tilt of the axis of the Earth that changes over the course of about 40,000 years. And 
the third one is the precession of the equinoxes or the wobble of the earth so some of the, because the earth has got more landmass on the northern hemisphere than the south some of these depending on where we are in the cycles have have a warming influence and some have a cooling influence and sometimes they all pile up together and we have a warm period like we're in right now or they all pile up the other way and we have an ice age so those have been working, and actually we have been enjoying a warm period for the last couple of thousand years, and we had been, up until the Industrial Revolution, been slightly cooling, but then when we started to pump fossil fuels into the atmosphere, that curve changed from a slight cool to a, an unprecedented increase, warming. And that's what we've been seeing for about the last 150 years is an unprecedented amount of warming and the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has been going up for as long as we can measure it and it's pretty much linear. We've been able to measure the, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere since 1958. We measure it in, at, in Mauna Loa in Hawaii, it's nice and central to the Pacific and it's been going up every year and we're now at a record level of, of carbon dioxide. Hey, Kurt, one more here, and then I've got to let you go, okay? Frank says, Hal, until the rest of the world jumps on board and does this, there's no point in uh, in us doing it. That's essentially, he says it's a tax grab, but I, I guess it's got to start somewhere, and it might as well start with us. Would that be your answer, Kurt? Yes, it does. But I also, I also think that we can think of this problem, rather than thinking of, of it at the tailpipe, think about it at the other end and what we, what we need to use these fossil fuels for. And I say that we need to build our resilience here in, Winnip here in, here in Manitoba. We have to be able to meet our essential needs ourselves without fossil fuels. And that means feed ourselves without synthetic fertilizers and without get a diesel for the machinery. We need to be able to heat and cool all of our buildings without natural gas. And we may, uh, need to be able to move ourselves and goods without gasoline or diesel. And if, you, if we do that, if we really address that, I say that it will enhance local employment, our own ability to, to deal with anything that's coming our way, including an economic downturn, regardless of, of the cause. If we can look after ourselves in those ways I just mentioned, I think we're going to be in a much healthier situation to the future, uh, regardless. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.